0: Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. I've interviewed women in the past who have delivered both head-down and breech babies vaginally and shared how those experiences differed for them. Today in the studio, we have a guest and her obstetrician who has delivered two breech babies, the first a cesarean breech birth and the second a vaginal breech birth after cesarean. Born in San Diego, California, our guest majored in biochemistry and cell biology at UCSD and then graduated from University of Southern California and now has a booming general and cosmetic dental practice in West Hollywood right across the street from me. She and her husband have a two-year-old son and an eight-month-old daughter, Dr. Donna Lu. Welcome to the podcast. Hi.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure. Nice to see you again. Yeah. Originally from Montreal, Canada, joining us today is an award-winning ob who completed his residency at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center here in Los Angeles a short 37 years ago, and he continues to practice obstetrics and gynecology there today. He's one of the few remaining obstetricians who offers patients the option for vaginal breech birth in a hospital setting if they meet certain safety criteria. Dr. Barry Brock, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. We had you a little while back on an episode all about breech, um, and then today we have a slightly different variation on that. So let's jump right in. Donna, you have two children, and they were both breech. Let's start with your first pregnancy, and then after the break, we can talk more about your most recent birth. Um, at what point during your first pregnancy did you realize that your baby was breech?
1: Oh, the whole time.
0: You knew from the beginning?
1: Yeah. I mean, with all the ultrasounds, baby was always breached. It really wasn't.
0: How many ultrasounds did you do in your pregnancy?
1: Um, I think at first um, they space them out every six weeks or something like that. And then after that, um, as you get closer and closer to your due date, um, you know, you have the anatomy scan at um, 20 weeks. And then um, I think every two weeks and then at, in the last, you know. So, so you did a lot of them. I did. A, I feel like I did a lot. Um, Or maybe I just went to the doctor a lot. I'm not really sure. That was a long time ago.
0: Sure. Well, a lot has happened since then. That's true. That's for sure. But you already early in the pregnancy, halfway through the pregnancy, were you asking about position or were they told you, hey, the baby's breech?
1: Um, they would mention that the baby's breech, but then it was never really a thing, a uh, concern because a lot of babies turn later on. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't think it was really an issue until probably... Uh, around 30, 32 weeks, um, when my um, OB started becoming a little bit more concerned that that he was still breached.
0: And at that time, you were with a different obstetrician, yes. not, not Dr. Brock, who's here tonight. Um, do you remember if the they gave you options, what to do?
1: Yeah, he talked about um, doing an ECV um, and just trying to turn him also acupuncture- Um, inversions, uh, things that I could do at home, just do it yourself at home, more or less. And then once the baby hit uh, 36 weeks, I believe, um, we would attempt to turn him.
0: What was your birth plan up until that point?
1: Um, Just try to do an all-natural vaginal birth if possible. But I was also warned by friends to take that birth plan and toss it out the door.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, so you weren't that married to the all-natural vaginal birth?
1: Um, not really. I think as it got closer and closer to my due date, um, every week the baby was still breached, and I started to accept the inevitable. hmm Yeah.
0: What, what of those things that was recommended to you by your doctor, what kind of things did you try?
1: Um, I tried inversions. Um, which is where, um, and on spinningbabies.com. Um, so I tried basically, um, hanging off my, my sofa, um, and then laying upside down on an ironing board, which I broke. Oh, really?
0: <laughs> I did. Like while you were laying on it? Yeah, I, on. I just heard a snap. Oh, and is that scary? Oh, it um, just broke, but didn't fall out from under you? No,
1: no, no. It just bent. Crack. I just heard a big crack. Oh, oh. Um, and- Do you use it for ironing?
0: Not anymore. I don't (laughs) know. I got a new one. (laughs) I got you. No, because most people, when I tell them, hey, maybe you want to do the ironing board thing, either they don't have one or like, oh, I think I have one, but they don't really use them.
1: Um, I don't iron a whole lot. I like to steam. It's just easier. It's
0: more of a breech board. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you did the inversion.
1: I did the inversions. Um, I did acupuncture and moxibustion.
0: Had you done acupuncture before that?
1: Yes. um, I did acupuncture. Um, to try and conceive, just to increase my chances. Um, and you but, conceived. And I conceived.
0: So it must work. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I did it both times. Oh, with both uh, babies. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then moxibustion is. You want to describe what that is?
1: It's um basically some mugwort root, and uh it's an herb, and they roll it up, and they hold it um close to your pinky toe. Yeah. And they hold it really close to your pinky toe until you feel this heat basically almost almost burning um and it's supposed to send signals to your uterus somehow.
0: Yeah, so like Chinese medicine is an umbrella with a whole bunch of modalities underneath it. So there's acupuncture, there's moxibustion, there's Chinese herbs and other modalities. So the moxa is heating up acupuncture points instead of needling them. Mm -hmm. And um, did you feel like, it? it generally when people do it for 15 or 20 minutes, they usually report more fetal movement afterwards the baby starts bouncing around.
1: You know, I didn't. um, But I think it is worth noting that my um, amniotic fluid was on the lower mm, side. You with, had
0: like seven or yeah, something like that? Yeah.
1: Or? I think normal is like...
0: Five. More than that, eight to 24.
1: And I was just above whatever the lowest uh, value was.
0: Before they before they started talking induction. Yeah. But you were early also at that point. You were doing these things at more like 34 weeks.
1: Yeah. So I think I started seeing you um, around 33, 34 weeks and you gave me Dr. Brock's number, um, and I had scheduled a consultation with him. Uh,
0: but then you got a little surprise.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before yeah. we
0: get to that, um, let me ask Dr. Brock a few questions here. Um, at what, first of all, do you, how many ultrasounds do you typically do in a normal pregnancy?
2: Well, I start off with a first ultrasound to diagnose pregnancy to make sure it's into uterine, mm-hmm. And then I'll get a, um, a round for fold around 12 weeks. Okay. And then structural ultrasound— Twenty around eighteen to twenty two weeks. and then routinely I'll get one after forty one weeks. You have to check the fluid. Oh, so there's no 35, 36? No, I don't find I find managed a lot of patients want to get it done, and I do it for them, but I don't see how it changes my management unless I'm not sure the position. right um, then I'll check to check the position.
0: So in general, you you check the position by hand.
2: I check my hand. If I am concer- have any concerns, I will go ahead and get an ultrasound, a quick ultrasound in the office, not a formal one, just to make sure where the position is. Are newer
0: doctors trained as well in hand palpation? Because they seem to well, always want them 36.
2: They all want to do ultrasounds, but then ultrasounds, right. uh, the insurance company pays for it. I guess maybe that's a little motivation there. Oh, too. it's a
0: little extra bump. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, So that's how many you do. At what point do you start noticing or looking out for breech presentation? Because if you don't do one from 22 to 40 weeks, but you're palpating all the time by hand.
2: I'm more concerned to get it to know by 36 weeks because at 37 weeks is when I'll try to turn the baby. So I want to know and I have to schedule it. So I have to know by 36 weeks.
0: Um, and before that, do you look at all? To, or, I, or? I
2: market what it is, but I don't have concerns about it. I tell the patient, well, listen, the baby's breached still, and let's see what happens by 36 weeks. If it's not, then we have to talk about trying to turn the baby at 37 weeks.
0: And so you turn the baby manually. Are there, are there factors that make you feel like a baby is more or less likely to turn?
2: Yes, obviously. Um, biggest factor probably is the size of the fluid and the shape of the uterus. Um, I have a patient who came in today, and uh, she has a uh, bicornered uterus. Mm-hmm. And um, the chance of turning is pretty small. Did I her to you? I yeah. think I did. And okay. um, <laughs> she also, unfortunately, the baby is really low, the butt. Okay. There's no way in heck this kid's going to turn. Okay. This butt's really deep in the pelvis, and she's a bicornered uterus. Uh, most of the time, my bicorner uterus, so I find out when I – if I've done a cesarean section, that's when I find out. It's She happened to have this knowledge beforehand, they said. And can you just talk about what for a
0: bicornuate uterus is? So um, uterus uterus get forms sound.
2: itself by two halves, as most of your body joined together. In her case, it didn't join all the way together. So you basically almost have two uteruses kind of stuck together, half of each. But it's a different shape. So the baby, it's not a round shape. Um, so the baby it has an ability to move around. And um, once it gets its buck ending stuck in the pelvis, it's not going to move around. Mm-hmm. This baby got its button there, and it's going to stay there. So it's going either come out by cesarean section or vaginal breech delivery. So it's a
0: healthy pregnancy, but is it kind of like a heart shape at the yes. top, where the there's a little dent in the it's, middle? It so it there's it can like be,
2: but usually when it's by You'll when you do delivery, you have one side's very big and the other side can be very very small. I see. No, it's so the a dent in the beginning. compacted it, into one it's side. It's compacted. It, it's a dent in the beginning of the pregnancy, but as one size it's only in one side and the pregnancy grows, that side becomes much bigger. Oh, I see. And the baby just can't move around. It's healthy and fine. The babies may be a little bit smaller sometimes uh, because the uterus isn't as big. Uh, but usually it's just an incidental finding that we've, oh, my gosh, Yeah, that's why I couldn't turn the baby. That's why... He, it's breach.
0: You, you, do you look for it during the cesarean or it becomes obvious? Oh, it's you? obvious during the oh. cesarean
2: section. Yeah. Hmm,
0: maybe we'll post some pictures. And so you said the shape of the uterus and then also the size of the baby? Well,
2: the size of the baby and also, you know, if a mother's diabetic and the baby's very, very big, um, uh, I mean, less chance of baby turning the the baby, the size of the baby. But usually uh, in our country, we do it around 37 weeks to try to turn the baby because the feeling is if it hasn't turned by 37 weeks, the chance of turning is much less. Um, And the other philosophy is that if we do a version, uh, try a version something, occurs during the version the heart rate goes down or something like that if we had to do a cesarean section the baby's 37 weeks so the baby's fine and healthy Mm. i've never had it happen to me but uh, that's why we do it at 37 weeks in this country in europe they do it earlier 34 weeks and then greater success rate because the
0: babies are smaller
2: the babies are smaller okay
0: do you also look at fluid levels
2: Yes, um, the success rate is based upon the fluid level. Obviously, the higher the fluid level, the more success it is. But if the fluid's really low, and, you know, a normal fluid's wanted over nine, but if it's, you know, some fluid's like four or five or six, uh, you know, the chance of the baby turning is small. The biggest criteria is you have to get the buttocks out of the pelvis. It's not a matter of bringing the head into the pelvis. You have to get the buttocks out of the pelvis or wherever's mm, in the or pelvis. Foot or? This, no one can get into that spot unless you get what, what's in there out of it.
0: Yeah, which I think was a lot of the philosophies on the inversions coming from that gravity will, if you're hanging out there slightly tilted, gravity will naturally help whatever's stuck in the pelvis come out.
2: Hopefully not stuck. It's stuck by definition. It's not going to come out. It's not coming out.
0: (laughs) Whatever's leaning towards the pelvis will, will come out. Um, you know, in our office, what we do is we try to improve your musculoskeletal function. So if your low back hips and pelvis are very tight and stiff and restricted and don't have much give to them, then we try to work to loosen up the soft tissues uh, we use massage and deep tissue work to loosen up the muscles and tendons, and then we use chiropractic adjustments to get the joints moving better so that the pelvis is more fluid. And you can feel a big difference between a pelvis that's really rigid and stuck and not moving at all, and a pelvis that's very loose and fluid and moves nicely. And that's the, those are the structures that are around the baby. So the theory is that we're giving them more functional space to move around. Um, I remember when I met you, you um, your muscles were both very strong and also very tight, and I thought this pelvis does not move well, at all. But then also you had low a low amount of fluid, and the baby had been breached for a long time. So on paper, not the greatest candidate for getting a baby to turn.
2: The best chance of turning a baby is if she. This is not a first baby, multiparous patient, um, very lax abdomen. The worst case is young, healthy, very strong. Abdominal muscles are yeah. first babies. You're in great shape, but it's <laughs> terrible for turning a baby. I like to right. work out sometimes. It's the, whatever the opposite
0: of lax abdomen is, is uh, <laughs> what Donna is. Um, So we worked together a little bit. Um, We didn't have a lot of time. And then also, so I always recommend to patients just so that you know the options. Some people would not want to do a vaginal breech birth. Some people would. And some people won't know until they consult with a doctor who's comfortable doing them. But I always make make the point that in Los Angeles, you do have that choice if you want it. Um, So you were going to consult with Dr. Brock. And then what happened next?
1: Um, I went into labor. Um, Well, actually, I think... Uh, what happened initially? I was actually at um, the hospital doing a a labor and delivery class, getting ready, you know, oh, like your birthing class. Yeah, my birthing class. And um, I thought I felt a leak. So I ended up going into the hospital um, later that evening, and they um, they checked everything to make sure I didn't my you know my uh, sac was was not punctured and I wasn't leaking. And everything was actually fine. but um, you know, they did do a, a like a cervical check or or something. Um, and I think it was maybe a week after that I went into labor. Um, so it was, it was actually several, uh, cervical checks that I received that I think might've like prompted it, but maybe the baby was just ready. I don't know.
0: Too much checking. Cause you yeah. were, you were like 30, how many weeks were you?
1: I was 36 on the dot.
0: And your water broke?
1: Uh, No, I just spontaneously went into labor. You started having contractions? Yeah, I'm not even sure if my labor broke because um, I got into a warm bath. Mm -hmm. um, And and it actually did help alleviate the pain. I wasn't even sure I was in labor. And then I got into a warm bath to see if I could alleviate these cramps. I thought the cramps was from a cervical check. Oh, I see. um, That I received, I think, like 24 hours before that. And then um, it actually helped my cramps a lot. And being once, in the warm water? Being in the warm water. Yeah, I would say, you know, starting off my labor pains um, were probably at like a five. And then once I got into the bath, it went down to three. But then I just got really warm because being pregnant sure. in a warm bath is Overheat. Just, yeah, not very comfortable. And as soon as I came out, my pain level shot up to like eight or nine. So I'm not sure if my water broke in, in the water or, or in the bath or not.
0: Did, and what did you do next?
1: I went to the hospital. <laughs> and then I, and then. Did um, you
0: know you were in labor?
1: After I got out of the bath.
0: You thought this is yeah, labor.
1: I had been laboring at home. It actually woke me up in the middle of the night um, around 4.30. And um, once I got out of the bath, it was probably around 6.30. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized I was in labor. And when I got to the hospital, I think I was eight centimeters dilated.
0: Do you know what time that was? 6.45. Oh, you're very close to the hospital.
1: Oh, yeah. I was five minutes. Okay.
0: Yeah. So the, in two hours of labor with your first baby and breech, you got to eight centimeters.
1: Eight centimeters. And I pretty much felt the urge to push as as they were wheeling me into surgery.
0: No kidding. So did they ever talk about just letting you go?
1: No. Not at the hospital.
0: Hmm. Did It's not – and were you thinking in your mind if I'm this close –
1: I really wanted to but I I mean I I knew my OB at the time was not trained in vaginal breech births and I hadn't met Dr. Brock yet. Um, so I didn't really feel like I had any A options. Oh. Uh, yeah.
0: Do do people ever call you Dr. Brock when that's happening?
2: No, I mean they don't call me in the hospital. Like your never call you. Could I have called you? No. <laughs> it's kind of tough. I mean, you know, if your doctor called me— That's why I'm mean, your have, colleagues. If, you, like if, if, yeah, if yeah, one of your your doctor, if your doctor called you. me, I would have come in and helped him go through a vaginal breach That's what I mean.
0: I know that at some point, um, like, this has happened where it was a surprise breach they didn't realize. And then they just called Dr. Crane and come over, and he just— caught the baby. I mean, was, that's all there was they've to done it at that me. point. Yeah, they've done it to you too. Mm-hmm. I was wondering. So. Yeah. so it could be an option if you really wanted it. You might have been able to say, in retrospect, to your Well, doctor, no. I mean, i see seen, seen Burke, another doctor
2: her? and never seen me. Uh, that doctor would have to call me and ask him to do a favor. I'm not going to, patients would call me and say, you're in labor. I'm not going to. No, no, not over. a
0: patient. I'm just saying if, if it's a doctor that knows you perhaps oh, yeah. and works with you and as a colleague might say, hey, I have an eight centimeter breech progressing quickly, would you? Come check.
1: Yeah. I, I was just trying to get moment to – I was just going to the next minute.
0: No, <laughs> there's think... no way in the moment. <laughs> no. I, I would have thought of that myself. I Just knowing that it's happened before makes me wonder if it's if it's possible for somebody mm-hmm. in the moment. How was – so, I mean, they must have had to move quickly because you were already at centimeters progressing quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, was the baby
0: coming down already?
1: Yes. I think I, – I know I was eight centimeters and I think it was plus one. Oh, wow. Yep. So I, um, and my, my body just, uh, I think 15, knew what to do. yeah, my, yeah, 15, 20 minutes, I already felt the urge to push and I, I knew I could have, oh. yeah, and I just, I just knew I could have. Um,
0: it's like almost and, if you stayed in the car, like an right? extra 15 <laughs> minutes, they wouldn't have had a choice. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. What was the, um, what was the procedure like? this is Sarah in birth.
1: Um well, you know, they gave me the epidural what I thought was an epidural, but I think it was a spinal. Okay. Um and I was really really groggy the whole surgery. I was fighting with every ounce of my being to stay conscious. I really? just wanted to like I just felt like I was going to pass out the whole time.
0: Um Is that
2: normal with a spinal block? No, not a spinal block. But, you know, there's a lot of adrenaline, things going on. Um, your body's going through a lot of things right now. Some people just, you know, get exhausted and tired, you know what I mean? And now that you don't have any pain, no motivation to keep you awake. So you just... I you
0: think, still felt pain? <laughs>
1: uh, no, I didn't feel any oh, okay. pain. I didn't feel any pain. But um, I f- possibly was a nurse. No, it was my other OB um, suggested it might be because I tend to have very low blood pressure, oh. and you know epidurals and spinals can lower drop it, it even lower. Yeah,
0: and they probably didn't have a whole lot of time to give you fluid. If you...
1: no, I had no no time. So
0: usually you get a bag of fluid to bolster your pressure. Yeah. They, they yeah do so, the anesthesia. Yeah. Um, is is so that would be considered an emergency cesarean. Because there's only really two nomenclatures, scheduled cesarean and emergency cesarean. So it's sort well, of like a non Well, there's urgent. three.
2: There's scheduled, an emergency, and a crash. So um, an emergency is any – a uh, crash is someone – all of the heart rate goes down and you have to escape baby out within the next – Five, 10 minutes.
0: Crush is what most people would think of as emergency, no. I think.
2: Emergency is a non-scheduled cesarean section.
0: Right, which would be a much nicer way to put it Yes, <laughs> than emergency. Because <laughs> right. it's not always urgent. It just wasn't planned. Right. And wasn't scheduled. Um, is uh, a, a cesarean like that performed differently than a scheduled cesarean?
2: No. Um, except for the fact that nowadays we, um, at least I've been doing for the last several years, is we give... Uh, an extra antibiotic, uh, zithromycin, so it lowers your chance of infection. And we also do, if someone's in labor, give a vaginal prep, a betadine prep that we used to do for d and things like that. And that's also shown to decrease the chance of getting an infection, infection afterwards.
0: Is a breech cesarean different than a head-down cesarean?
2: Well, um, yes and somewhat. But... Um, you have the ability when you're doing a breech liver, you have to do the same maneuvers to get the baby out. You have to get the butt if you can or the feet. But you have the ability if you need more room, you just widen the incision on in the uterus. That's, you don't have that ability vaginally. vaginally. right. So that makes a huge difference. But usually if someone um, is a good surgeon, does these things, it's not a very difficult thing to do. But there would be other conflicting factors, though. Someone may be a breech because you have a big fibroid there, and then they may get in your way doing a cesarean section. But that's what uh, an obstetrician is trained for to do
0: hmm How was the recovery for you from your cesarean?
1: Uh, it was pretty difficult. Um, I uh, definitely was given a lot of painkillers. You know, it wasn't great. <laughs> um, in the hospital, I was I was just throwing up a lot. And I'm not somebody who gets a lot of no- – I'm not someone who – I never got any morning sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just throwing up um, constantly, even with water. And I just couldn't. I could not even stand up straight. Wow. Um. I just felt like my incisions were just would pull every single time I try to stand up straight. So I was walking around hunchback. probably – For how long? Um. At least a week and a half. Wow. Yeah. Um. And then I think after.
0: It just with everything else new going on, it seems like. Not the ideal state.
1: Yeah, and I'm not somebody who likes to sit down I know that a lot. about you. <laughs> um, I just really felt the need to clean my house <laughs> when well, I got home.
2: Obviously, your child also doesn't want you to sit down, too. That's right. <laughs> That's but, true. <laughs> that was a lot of work to do That's there. That's
1: true, too. Um, so it was a lot of – it was It was pretty difficult.
0: All right. Um, I would like – you have a, a less than one-year-old now.
1: Yes, Eight months. A- eight
0: month old And um, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll find out more about your second pregnancy and birth. Stay tuned to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike, Dr. Mom Butt Balm. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and we're continuing our discussion of breech birth after cesarean with Dr. Barry Brock and Dr. Donna Liu. So um, last year, I started to see you again about midway through your second pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And uh, being pregnant after having previously had a cesarean kind of leaves you two choices, right? You can opt for a repeat cesarean, an elective repeat cesarean, or a trial of labor after cesarean called TOLAC, in the hopes of doing a vaginal birth after cesarean, a VBAC. Um, at what point did you start to think about these options, and where were you leaning?
1: Um, I think around 30 weeks when she was still breech. Um, I definitely started exploring the option of doing a VBAC breech delivery. Um, well,
0: in the beginning of the preg- – did you know before you got pregnant if you wanted to do a repeat cesarean or if you wanted to do a vaginal birth? A vaginal. You wanted VBAC. Mm-hmm. Did you explore the different um, benefits and risks to doing a VBAC versus a repeat cesarean?
1: Not until later.
0: But in your heart, you just wanted to do the vaginal yeah. birth. Yeah. I mean, it's, a lot of people are like that. Um, Dr. Park, what are some of the pros and cons, not with a breech baby, but just in terms of VBAC in general?
2: Well, I mean, the American colleges, and I concur with it, the instance of um Problems that less than one half or one percent, and they encourage to have a vaginal um, delivery after previous cesarean sections, especially if you have a non-repeating cause. In other words, patient had a cesarean section for breach. This time the head's down, it's not a repeating cause. If you have um, a cesarean section previously because the baby's ox- occiput posterior, sunny side up, may baby come down rapidly. Entirely different. And I've over the years I've done lots of VBACs. Um, Like I said, the risk of a problem is less than 1 out of 200, Mm -hmm. that the the uterus may rupture. But we're monitoring carefully. one thing I do when I do breach uh, uh, VBACs is I want the patient in the hospital. I want to monitor the baby make sure everything's doing fine.
0: Because normally if they're in labor, you don't care if they come in at the very end. If
2: they're they're not ruptured I can labor at home. I have no problem with that. If they're ruptured and have a beta strep, then I want them to come in and get some antibiotics. You mean if the the
0: water is ruptured? Right. Okay. With the VBACs, the concern is that the uterus might open up. The scar in the old uterus might open up. So you prefer to monitor that earlier in labor. Exactly. What are some signs that it might might have happened?
2: Well, the, the tracing may be abnormal in the baby, uh, severe pain over the incision site, um, and usually sine qua non of it is that uh, the babies all of a sudden lose the station, so the presenting part moves back up because it's coming so out dropping, of the dropping, dropping,
0: dropping, and now all of a sudden they're not low, they're higher exactly, up. Exactly, they're higher up. Are there ways to mitigate that risk of that weakness in the uterine scar from separating?
2: Uh, well, uh, when we, if you're going to give, but you want to give pitocin, you don't want to give prostaglandins to uh, stimulate labor. That's been shown to higher risk of rupture. Mm-hmm. So pitocin's fine with the dosage. Uh, you may also use it with in, a lower inter- dosage. Uh, low do- well, follow the same protocol. That's not a problem. But see. you may want to do an intrauterine pressure catheter measures exactly the strength of the contractions. I see. Uh, you want to make sure that um, you know the baby's doing fine, the mummy's doing fine. Um, I usually like and. Epidural is an option, but uh, usually I tend towards – I like the idea of an epidural. What I do, I lose the ability to use pain as, a,
0: a, as an indicator.
2: But I also have the advantage that if, God forbid, something happens, then I can rush into a caesarean section very quickly. The crash cra- That would be a crash caesarean. Yeah,
0: I'm learning the terminology. I haven't
2: had one yet, but yes. Well, I, I take it back. I've had as a resident, but not my own patients. So not in the past uh,
0: 37 years. Right. Okay. It's a pretty good record. <laughs> And you do a lot of VBACs.
2: I have a lot of VBACs, and I do, um, even after two cesarean sections, I have several patients. You do VBAC after yeah. two?
0: How about VBAC after three? No. Ah, you have your limits.
2: I have my limits. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the percentage of after two, they talk of risk of rupture of 5%, uh-huh. but it goes up much higher after.
0: <laughs> I, You know, I had a patient who did a VBAC after six.
2: I mean, it's possible. Yeah. You can also go home and not wear your seatbelt and speed, but... It may not be the safest well, thing to do.
0: You know, I think that what her OB told her was that there's no data either way. There's no data on the safety of your seventh cesarean, and there's no data on the safety of a VBAC after six. And so if she had a strong preference, he was comfortable seeing how labor would go and whether or not they would make it through.
2: There is some data For at USC sure. and the risk rupture. That's where it came from. Um, this data came from the 70s, and the reason is they were doing like a— like 24,000 deliveries a year. Wow. Um, they were like 5% of all the deliveries in the United States. It was mind-boggling what they were doing there. And they couldn't get to the zero sections quick enough, mm-hmm. so they had patients delivering vaginally after first xerian sections. Then they looked back in their data, and that's where came out the idea that VBACs can be safe. Because back in the 60s and 70s, it says once a section, always a section was the rule. Right. And they looked back and said, hey... You know, we've had all these patients deliver vaginally after previous and they're all safe. That's really interesting. And the data came from there. But it also showed the rupture was higher after more, more cesarean before. section. Yeah. So,
0: but there's also increased risk with each cesarean that you do as well.
2: Well, I mean, you can get the risk of um, – The biggest risk, the more cesarean section you do, the placenta may implant improperly into the wall of the uterus the more scar you have. Mm -hmm. And as the things, as implants in the wall of the uterus and doesn't separate, it's called an accreta. And that increases the risk of bleeding after the baby's born Mm -hmm. and hemorrhaging and risk of losing the uterus. Right. Uh, So the more cesarean section you have, that's the greater the risk. And the scar tissue going in, it may take you longer time to get in to do the cesarean section because there's more scar tissue, more tissue going through multiple surgeries. But you want to go ahead and, you know, um, if you have an epidural or spinal, it just takes you a longer time to go in. A good surgeon should be able to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Donna, 23 weeks into the pregnancy, you started coming in for chiropractic and massage work. Was that more for aches and pains or was that for general wellness or was that like, I'm going to be proactive on this breech baby?
1: Um, probably a little bit of both. I did have a little bit of a sciatic um, a little earlier on in this uh, second pregnancy. Um, so that's why I started seeing you. Um, and eventually it was more trying to get loosen up the pelvic um, muscles and the muscles around the uterus so that she would turn.
0: Mm-hmm. And at your f- first birth, was there any sign when they did the surgery? Did they see any variations in your uterus as we talked about in the first part that might have been the cause of your breach? No. What is the incidence of breach overall in, in let's say, first-time moms? It's,
2: well, it's overall 6%, and Mother Nature does it. We know certain things increase the chance of, uh, of a breach. Malformed uterus, earlier on in the pregnancy, uh, if you go into labor, more likely to be breach, uh, history of breach. Um, so history fibroids. of breach
0: increases the chances of being breached again, mm-hmm. even if there's none of the... No Correct. formation, yeah, uh-huh.
2: slightly, but you know it kind of makes sense, you know what caused it if we don't what caused it the first time, obviously, mother nature the thing, obviously, that's the uterine things of extra outside the uterus fibroids that change the shape a bit, uh, unfortunately, other things going on, abnormalities of the baby sometimes, but a lot of times this is with ultrasound it's much more effective, and you can pick up those things. there's uh, marked abnormalities the babies have that we can know that can cause a baby to breach, but a lot of times you can pick that with the ultrasound, so it's not a problem.
0: So in both of your pregnancies, you were breached from very early on. Mm-hmm. You saw it early on. Mm-hmm. You and the second one did more things early on to try to yeah. give your baby more space to turn. And actually, it sort of felt like your baby had room to turn.
1: A little bit more, towards, I would say. Towards
0: the end. I mean, you had more fluid.
1: Yeah. not Not that much. I would say – so my first one, I would say – I probably had, like, 9 or 10 cubic um, centimeters. centimeters. And this one I might have had, like, 12 to 15.
0: Yeah. Not a lot. Well, I think – Is it? it, It's normal. but I think 12 to 15. And also I sort of remember in the first one you were down more like 7 or 8. So I would say 7 to 15 is a a big jump just in terms of the way it feels. You know, water in the bathtub basically. Right. More fluid in there, more room to move around. Right.
1: I could just tell – she was just as stuck as he as was. He was. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, <laughs> but you were still not with Dr. Brock? No. At what point did you decide to consult with Dr. Brock?
1: 33 weeks.
0: 33. And how was your consultation? What did you learn?
1: Um, I learned that um, being a VBAC breach delivery are two separate sets of risks. Um, Dr. Brock um, explained to me the differences between the, the set of risks for each. Um, and that they don't necessarily compound and and increase my chances of something going wrong. So that's really
0: interesting because we j- just talked about a few minutes ago the pros and cons or risks and benefits of just doing a vaginal birth after cesarean with a head down baby, isolating breech. What are some of the pros and cons of vaginal birth with a breech baby versus cesarean birth with a breech baby?
2: Well, I mean the risks. The only concern you have is a uh, breech baby coming out. Normally. Um, as you come out in labor, um, the head sometimes, if it's a tight fit, the head will get molded. And the bones are not fused. So mother nature designs the system. The bones is kind of turn the baby's head into bananas. You're pushing, trying to get this baby out, mm-hmm. and the bones and everything else. Well, in a breech delivery, it'll do the same thing after the baby's out that head. The trouble is the cord's right beside that head. So while you're molding the head, the baby's not getting oxygenation. It's so
0: compressing it, the cord.
2: Exactly. So you cannot – that cannot happen. So – so we use certain criteria. Once um, someone I do doing a breech vaginal delivery, I want to make sure once she gets in the active phase of labor, she can get there any way she wants, induced, not induced doesn't make it. When she gets to six or seven centimeters, then I want to see everything go smoothly and quickly and nice, which means I want her to dilate quickly. I want to start pushing. I push effectively. The baby's butt to come down and push the baby out quickly. Mm. You're not going to push for three, four hours, not for breech delivery. That gives me an idea that this baby is going to slide out. And it does. Every time I've done it, that's what happens because I meet the criteria. I didn't do that when I was a resident. We considered a breach and vertex the same thing. And we got into trouble some babies. And that's, I think, why the literature in the past scared everyone. And now, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't have the skill to do it, you don't do it.
0: A couple of questions. Are there people who come in and you determine they're not a good candidate for breach birth before labor starts? Yes. What are those criteria? Well,
2: the criteria would be that um, definitely if their feet are coming down and not the buttocks. So uh, not a
0: butt down presentation.
2: The reason is the baby shall dilate and the baby come down. But now the cervix may not dilate all the way because it just has to squeeze through the the legs coming through and the the chest and everything else. And it gets to the head all of a sudden. And we saw talk about cervix clamping down. The Cervix does not clamp down. It just never dilated. Mm -hmm. And now you're stuck. Now – Yes, over the years, I've done occasionally some... Um, I'm
0: just trying to picture it. So the cervix only opens, let's say, the 7 centimeters. Most of the baby comes out, uh, but the, you head get to the head 10 centimeters, right. and it gets stuck.
2: Exactly. So I want I want a breech delivery, so a breech in the buttock, so you can see it gets has, get, need more room to get that through. And that helps you The with butt design. and legs kind of come out right. together. And Mother Nature will tell you, I had a patient who, um, years ago, and came in, rapidly dialed everything. She started push. This butt did not go anywhere. It was really high. And this is airing section. The kid weighed nine pounds. Well, Mother mm. Nature telling you something here. <laughs> yeah. If it's not coming out nicely, and that's the criteria. And using that criteria, I've been very successful. And knock on wood, I've never had a problem with it. But that's because I skewed from the data. I'm airing the side of more conservatism. Gotcha. Um,
0: you tried to do an external cephalic version. Mm-hmm. That's where you manually try to turn the baby. Yeah. Uh, is that always preferable to just delivering breech?
2: Yes, I always think so, because it's a safer procedure. I don't have to worry about any of the things I talked about before if the head's down. She can push for three hours, I don't care, um, even for previous cesarean section, because when the head's down low below the scar, the chance of rupturing is very, very small. You can just imagine the scars above the kid's head, so the head's pushing its way out, even if something happens, the kid's baby's coming out. We should be You've fine. You've got it. I see. Yeah.
0: So that's in this case with uh, with the back added to the bridge,
2: well, two separate problems, like right. I explained. And so, you know, we talk the risk of a rupture, less than one half of 1%, and mm-hmm. we're going to monitor that. And then the breach Which, delivery. by the way, for
0: some people that sounds like a lot and some people it sounds like a little. When you're talking about risk, I mean, if you told me my, my chances of winning the Powerball are 1 in 200, I'd buy a ticket every time.
2: Well, that's why they get you suckered in there. That's a pretty. Low, <laughs> that's a pretty. That's a pretty low risk. One in two hundred. Sure, but on the other
0: right, it's a ninety nine point five percent chance that it won't happen to you. Right, right. Um, I haven't won the Powerball. Yet, I'm Just saying. Uh, what is? What are you doing during the ECV? What's the procedure?
2: Well, the number one criteria I do. Well, first of all, make sure the baby's fine and healthy. Actually. Back up. When she comes to the hospital, the first thing we do is scan to make sure the kid didn't flip. <laughs> okay, before Good we call. admit her to the hospital, do all that stuff.
1: Actually, funny story. There was a resident that, no, not even a resident, a medical student. He was still in medical school. He he did an ultrasound to make sure that the baby's, you know, head was up, yeah. and he. Put it where the butt was, and he said, "Oh yeah, that's the baby's head." Oh,
2: but he was wrong. Well, he had a little bit more to learn. That's why <laughs> it was it was, the green and <laughs> it was sweet. Well, first thing, I confirm, and then we'll go ahead and do a non-stress test. where we listen to the baby's heartbeat, make sure the baby's fine and healthy and accelerating. And then um, I go ahead and give some medication called terbutaline. Terbutaline is a medication we use um, for asthmatics things like this, and it has the effect of relaxing the uterus because I don't want the contractions I want the uterus nice and relaxed. And then I use some warm mineral oil. And I key factor doing the version is you got to get the butt out of the pelvis. You put your hand down low and try to push the butt out of the pelvis. And if you get the butt of the pelvis, then you guide the head into the pelvis.
0: So this is all external. External. You're Everything's through external. Through the belly trying to push that right. butt but out of the pelvis. Is,
2: the secret is down low, trying to get the butt out of the pelvis.
0: You do have an exceptionally high success rate with your versions, I think,
2: compared to the average, for sure. Um, <laughs>
0: The tributaline that you give is an injection?
2: It's injection. I give it IV. You can give it sub-Q. I give it 0.2 milligrams. It's a very, very low dose. and the biggest side effect that the heart may race for about 10 minutes or so. But it relaxes. the goal the is
0: to relax the uterus so that you have a better playing field right. or so that labor doesn't start? or both. No, no.
2: It's not the playing. Just the uterus relaxes so I have – if the uterus is contracting down, I can't turn the baby. So I, I'm trying to relax the uterus so I can – and also it helps –
0: It's kind of what I, I'm doing with the muscles and tendons. Right. What, what I do <laughs> – I cheat and I uterus. do it uh, yeah. with drugs. <laughs> pharma-
2: yeah. with drugs. But I also um, what goes against it, a mother that is in very good shape and very strong muscles and cannot relax her muscles. Mm-hmm. Just to say to relax your muscles, you, sometimes you can't do that. You Someone's can't. pushing on it. It's, yeah. nothing, uh, it's nothing wrong. It's instinct and you do that. Um, and a lot of times it can be very, very successful. My success rate is around, I guess, about 60% or so. Mm-hmm. But nothing's 100%. There's a whole list of criteria that higher and less likely to succeed. But I always say it's worth a try.
0: What can go wrong?
2: Um, theoretically, well, it can fail. Okay, that's number one. But that's, that's, not, a, just that's not, not going a, that's, right. That's, that's, <laughs> no. um, you can go ahead as you're trying to turn the baby, the heart rate may drop. And, um, and you listen to heartbeat with the ultrasound machine while I'm doing that every, every 10, 15, 20 seconds to make sure it stays up. Um, and that's why we do it at 37 weeks. And there have been reported cases, even at CEDARS, that they do with cesarean sections. Knock on wood, I've never had it happen to me. Um, you turn the baby and the heart rate drops sometimes you just push back in the other direction maybe you're pulling a cord maybe twisting I don't know the answer but I
0: also think uh, some of the more nervous obstetricians as soon as that heart rate drops they run for a crash cesarean without trying to put, put it back so
2: yeah you can, mother nature's pretty good baby recovers baby it's you know you're panicking over someone holding your breath for 15 seconds right it's you know, let's see what happens. Mother right. Nature's designed this system so It's also pretty a pretty
0: good. litigious uh, society, so it's sort of defensive That's true. medicine. <laughs> you, you really can't blame a doctor for defensive nope. medicine. Uh, so those are the things that could possibly go wrong. Um, in your case, the version didn't work. Nope. Was it close? Was there a Nope. <laughs> Nothing. You're... No,
1: I, I knew she was in there. And I, I was hopeful, Yeah. but... I was pretty certain she wasn't going to turn. She was wedged in there. I could tell.
0: But being wedged in there is, is sort of good if you're going to do a vaginal breech birth. Yes. She's kind of Not engaged. good for a version. Not <laughs> good for the version. Okay. So that left you with really two choices, repeat cesarean or vaginal breech after cesarean.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Was Did you weigh the options back and forth?
1: I did. I did. Um, but it was I, – I just felt like – the risk of a vbac breach delivery was worth it I, it definitely made me nervous I, a lot of my f- family um, was nervous, nervous for me okay. they were very nervous for me more than i was um, but i i feel like i felt like i could really trust my own body and i knew what i was capable of and i knew i could do it
0: did it make a difference that the first birth was so quick i mean is that sort of a that makes good it good very very
2: good it makes you very um, more likely for having a V back, and also makes everything to the size and the pelvis. It all fits together. It would slide out, and this is what happened.
0: How did your second labor start?
1: Doctor Brock actually uh, more or less induced me with a membrane strip. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um, what
2: is a membrane strip? I um, you go ahead during do, do an examination and you put your fingers in the opening of the cervix and you sweep with your finger, and that separates the membranes uh, a little bit from the uh, cervix, and the it bag also of makes. Water? Well, the bag, the bag of water is b- the other side of the membrane, so, so you don't break the water.
0: Right. So you're you're just moving the membrane, which right. is holding. Right. You're
2: separate. Yeah, and you're separating. That stimulates things and put out prostaglandins and bring on labor.
0: Okay. Did it bring on labor for you?
1: Uh, yeah. I actually. <laughs> well, I was cr- I was cramping for the rest of the afternoon, the evening, and the um I had also that night I even um had sex hmm And I um, used some— um what?
0: Deliberately because you wanted to go into labor? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Um, I, I did not feel like <laughs> But I was—I'm
0: uh, all creepy. How about you, honey? Um, but, but wait, this is also—you were going out of town— I I don't know yes. if I remember. Yes, he was going out of town, in which like, would leave you no options, really. Yeah, well, you, C-section. Well, I was just saying, would leave you no vaginal birth Correct. option. So, if you were going to have the choice for vaginal birth, you needed to move some things along, mm-hmm. which is why all these things I think came into play. For right,
1: you. right. So that evening, I also um, had sex with my husband, and then I um, had I took some uh, evening primrose oil uh, orally. Uh, orally and also vaginally i was just hitting it from all different angles you can think Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. and it worked the next morning my cramping slowly turned into just these little contractions that were very very mild it almost just felt like a twitch Mm -hmm. um and but they were really regular for every 10 minutes and at times they just disappear
0: and where did it go from there
1: um, I think I came and saw you. I was e- I wasn't even sure if I was in labor. In
0: labor or not. I remember that.
1: Um and just to prep my body and loosen up everything um for a vaginal breech delivery if it got to that point. Um and then
0: I was one step after evening premieres. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and then uh that evening my labor actually stalled mm-hmm. around seven, eight o'clock. Um it,
0: that was almost twenty four hours after everything began.
1: Yeah. And it almost stalled. And did it ever
0: get un- like more than twitchy for you during it got, that time? It
1: got slightly uncomfortable but not to the point where I felt like I was in labor. It definitely was not active labor. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that he was about to go on vacation, I jumped on a yoga ball and just started rolling around on it as much as I could. And actually it did jumpstart my labor. So that was probably around 8 o'clock I jumped on the yoga ball and we ended up going to the hospital probably around 10 o'clock.
0: Two hours again?
1: Yeah. Uh Yeah. And I was, uh, when I got to the hospital, I was four centimeters dilated. And I was really excited because I knew that I could spend the rest of my labor comfortable because I was getting an epidural since Dr. Brock wanted me to. Mm -hmm.
0: So, and after the epidural, you didn't feel too much?
1: Oh, it took me a long time to get the epidural.
0: Oh, it took a while. So yeah. you labored there for a bit. I, well, my- Because you my, wanted to wait or- No, they a-
1: <laughs> no, I was in triage uh-huh. um, and my water broke in triage. Oh. And about 45 minutes after I got there and the nurse checked me and I was 10
0: centimeters. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, when I, you got your epidural?
1: No. <laughs> I'm still in triage. They haven't even admitted me I'm into the hospital. Y-
0: oh, you were 10 centimeters but still didn't have an epidural. No. Okay.
1: And they force – But you
0: like the epidural for the vaginal bridge well, birth.
2: because if I have, been, I have to manipulate and move things around, I don't want the mother in pain. Right. Because if she moves up the table, that's the worst right. thing that can happen.
0: Sure. But even if it's moving that quickly? Well, as a... if it,
2: whatever happens, if it happens, it's, you know – Right. You, don't, kinda, you may not, not have a chance. Okay. chance you may not know? have a chance.
0: Oh, so you did your most almost all your labor with no epidural.
1: Um, I went to ten centimeters. Yeah, pretty much within forty-five minutes, um, and then all the anesthesiologists were busy. Oh, for about another hour and a half. Oh
0: no, kidding! So you s- sat at ten for a while. Yeah. Until it all came together. Mm-hmm. How was pushing for you?
1: It was fifteen minutes. Quick. I wasn't. I've just heard these horror stories about, you know, women pushing well, for. You
2: dilated very rapidly. You had a previous got up to eight centimeters. You were the kid wasn't huge. You had a great chance for quick, easy delivery. Yeah. Sweet.
0: Or do you do things differently when you're attending the breech birth? I mean, epidural is one, because I know that you know normally don't you don't care if your cl- clients have epidural or not. Right. I mean, differently.
2: How? I mean.
0: I don't know. Um, are there ways that you attend a, a breech birth differently? Well, I make sure I'm there. <laughs> That's number <right>. one.
2: <laughs> I mean. Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> you know, I, I have to. It takes me some time to get in. I'm not there in five minutes. So it takes me, you know. Depends what time of day, time night, of day the night, the sure. traffic and everything else to get there. But, yeah, once you go in there, it's similar to the delivery. You start pushing. I'd set things up in the room. And you're not setting things up in the cesarean section room because, like I said before, you have to deliver. Once you're committed to delivering vaginally and the feet are out, you have to deliver vaginally. There's no option. You can't put the baby back in. But you
0: said during the c- cesarean breech birth, if the head's not coming out, you just make a wider incision, but you can't do that vaginally. So what would you do if the head was having trouble coming through?
2: You use forceps. Regular forceps? or no, specially designed forceps for breech delivery called Piper forceps.
0: Okay. So you have Piper forceps yeah, whenever you do in a breech the birth?
2: And, and if I use my criteria, I haven't used those in many, many years because if I use the criteria, I think will quickly use you don't need you them. You don't anymore. need them because the baby just comes I just out. just like be prepared, Boy Scouts, and have them there. But.
0: So when you trained as a resident, breech birth was happening regularly.
2: Oh, well,
0: 6%. <laughs> but I'm saying vaginal breech birth was happening yes. regularly. They didn't shuffle everybody over to a, a scheduled cesarean like we Correct. pretty much do now. Um, but now we don't do them that often. So uh, it's it's kind of rare for residents to get exposure to a breech birth. I know – did you have a residence in the room with you?
1: No. I just had a couple nurses. I hadn't – you know, it was just a few nurses and you.
2: I don't remember. And Usually, the residents quick. are popping at the watch. No, I, I
0: remember. Know. I was I was doing uh, doula work at a birth, a breech birth, with you, and um, it was like three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning, and I was just sort of helping mom. She had been unmedicated because she progressed so quickly, and I think maybe you did a pudendal nerve block, but she she was not numb. So we were breathing and coaching and. Uh, Right up until the point you came in the room, it was her and her husband and the labor and delivery nurse and me and her friend. Um, And I really wasn't paying attention to what was going on behind me. She was totally comfortable with residents coming in, with nurses coming in to watch and see and get experience. Um, And she's also, I think, blind as a bat without her glasses, so she didn't really know what was going on in terms of people gathering. But I turned around at some point, and I swear there must have been 20 people in the room there and I was even trying to figure out who they were based on their you know like the color of their scrubs there were some labor and delivery nurses some NICU team some residents I'm pretty sure there were two helpful Honda guys I'm not sure how <laughs> they got in there it was just like everybody wanted to come see this vaginal preacher. well
2: I mean you have five neonatology Team there for breach deliveries. Oh, just in case. Just in case. There was. They come with a team of five of them because the neonatologist, the resident, a respiratory therapist, in case Mm they are always there for breach delivery. That's part of the protocol in case something needs to resuscitate the baby. And then there's the residents and the nurses want to watch because it's a. it's an,
0: they don't get to very often. Well, yeah. is, is there a way for residents to get enough experience like you did when you were a resident so that they would feel confident and comfortable attending bridge birth? You know, is S- is this a dying art or is this going it's to... It's a
2: dying art. There's um, basically two obstetricians at Cedars that do vaginal breach delivery, and, and Paul doesn't do as many, and um, there's myself, and that's it. And I, you know... I'm not doing 20, 30 breach deliveries a month. So at the, the residents, there's a lot of residents that Cedars they They each may get a one or two breach deliveries. Now, I'm very willing to come along and anytime someone's in labor and I've done it for the residents, come back and help them out, you know, to help do a breach delivery they have in their house staff cases. But it depends how the resident gets confident and how Are they Are any feel. of
0: your colleagues that you practice with
2: interested in? No.
0: No, nobody.
2: It's easier for them to do cesarean section and, and they probably get paid more. <laughs> And they sleep more than I do.
0: I bet that's true. Um, how was your recovery from your vaginal breach after cesarean?
2: It was amazing. I
1: was walking around and I was completely fine after 36 hours. I think they just – I asked them to discharge me after 36 hours. You are ready I, to go. I was ready to go. I some cleaning
0: the day. I got to clean the house. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I
1: did. And I did. I was running errands. <laughs> I bet I, you were. It was, it was great.
0: So – Thank you very much for sharing these stories. Um, I think it's – I'm grateful to the doctors who still offer vaginal birth as an option. Absolutely. And are able to tell uh, the criteria what's going to be a safe candidate versus not uh, a less safe candidate. And um, feedback separately. There's large swaths of the country. Many of our listeners call in and write in and talk about the fact that they can't find a doctor even to do a vaginal birth after cesarean, just the plain old VBAC. Um, and so the combination of both is unique, but I think it's really important that you pointed out they're just two separate sets of risks. If you're willing to do take the risk of the uterine rupture, the 1 in 200 on average, and the risks of the breech birth, if you meet the safety criteria, they don't compound each other. And so if you can find a doctor who does breech and VBAC, maybe they'll also do vaginal breech after cesarean. Um, I appreciate you both for being here, and also Dr. Brock for sharing your expertise. Uh, where can we find you guys online?
1: Uh, I'm at BeverlyGroveDentistry.com.
0: And if once you're getting your your teeth like that, you might as well come across the street and get an adjustment. Right. Where's your and you switched practices recently? Yes,
2: I'm um, I'm Rodeo Drive, four twenty one Rodeo Drive in the penthouse there, and um, you know I'm I'm. Still delivered at Cedars. And um, so right after. The Rodeo you... collection in Beverly Hills. And the good thing is, it's cheaper than Cedars because there's two hours free parking around the corner. No kidding, <laughs>
0: really. Yeah, but when you stop at, you know, BCBG on the way.
2: Well, yeah, I don't stop at those things. I look That's at them. And I, no, I, I mean, can't afford a t shirt there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. At home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you have a topic you'd like to discuss, send your suggestions to info at informedpregnancy.com.
2: Dr. Doctor doctor, give me
0: the news I got